So I remembered what I forgot. <laughs> the women's brunch, bloom where you're planted. Uh, you know, in honor of Mother's Day, we all had a mom, right? We've all had a mom, and if your mom's still with us, I think you're supposed to feel free to bring her along. Uh, but uh, today is the last day to sign up because it's this coming Saturday, and so there's a sign-up sheet uh, out, and uh, I'd encourage you ladies, uh, I understand it's a good time, and uh, I think I forgot because I've just never been a lady, so, but I know not to get on the wrong side of ladies, okay? So, anyway. Hey, wasn't it great last week to have Modal with us? Uh, I really enjoyed uh, getting to know him, first time I met him and so forth, our Jewish missionary. And uh, especially, I thought, since we're looking at the Jewish people during Moses' lifetime, uh, it was just so good to have him here and timely, and uh, he sort of affirmed uh, a lot of the things that I think we've been uh, learning together. And so I wanted to just uh, pick up on one thing that he said. I think he's so right when he said that, you know, the entire Bible is really from Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, the rest of the Bible is really simply working out this great promise plan that God gave to Abraham uh, that leads us all the way to Jesus, that leads us all the way to ourselves today, and will lead us on into eternity. Genesis 12, the first three verses, uh, God's promise that he's going to bless all the families or all the ethne, all the ethnicities of the entire world uh, through uh, the offspring, as we'll see in uh, Galatians, uh, of Abraham. And so uh, it's really the gospel way back in Genesis. It's really kind of cool when you think about it that God revealed the gospel way before, uh, actually 430 years exactly before uh, God revealed the law and the Ten Commandments. And so uh, just wanted to, uh, next week will be our last uh, message from uh, the Moses series. And so I wanted to just take advantage this morning uh, to compare the two covenants, the covenant that we've been looking at uh, uh, that Moses brought to the people, that God brought through Moses, and the covenant that comes to us uh, through Jesus. And uh, this whole uh, issue of God choosing Israel to reveal himself to the rest of the nations of the world. And uh, I loved it when Modal said uh, last week, he said, you know, and we have totally failed to do that. And, you know, we, uh, I, I think the story of Israel really is the story of each of us individually. And um, <clears throat> we, as the church, since, you know, a couple thousand years now, uh, have been uh, reassigned to go into the world and make the gospel known and bring the light of the gospel uh, to the nations of the world, to the people around us here in Ridgefield and, you know, all around us and, and just keep going out in circles. Um, and I'm not so sure that we've done uh, any better than the Jewish people in terms of, hey, that's our priority, that's our purpose, that's why we're here, that's why God called us together, that's why God called us out of the world to be his people so that we could be blessed, so that we could be a blessing to the next person, and that through us, God could make himself known, uh, especially uh, through the good news of the gospel. And so we saw uh, back in Exodus, you know, when God first came to the people with uh, his plan, you know, you remember the people all got excited about it, they were all in, 
And they said, you know, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It's kind of like at a wedding where the two parties say, I do. Uh, I've officiated at a lot of weddings. I had two weddings that I could remember uh, where the guy said, I do, before I even asked the question. He was just, you know, <laughs> the girls were, you know, in control, but the guys were like so nervous. And the guy is saying, like, I do, before I even asked him, you know. And it's, I get that feeling from the people of Israel. They hadn't even heard the deal that God was going to set up. They hadn't even heard the terms of the covenant, right? But they're like, all that the Lord speaks, we're going to do it, you know. They're so excited, and uh, you're going to be my treasured people. That's all they heard, and, and they're like, okay, let's go. And um, so then, uh, you know, Moses is called to the top of the mountain, right? And uh, God is like fine-tuning the Ten Commandments. He's like giving some more uh, nuance and structure to the Ten uh, Basic Commandments that he had given. And while Moses is up there and God is speaking to him, Uh, On the bottom of the mountain, all the people are making a golden calf. You remember that? And uh, Exodus uh, 32. And uh, they're making a golden calf to be their new small g God. And they want this small g God to lead them back to Egypt. And it's like, you know, uh, they've uh, broken the covenant right off the bat. I mean, the first little bump that we get... uh, And God just lets them hang out for a while, uh, and they're ready to go. And so in Exodus chapter 32 and verses 9 and 10, God God is like done. God has like done a lot of things, right? Got them out of Egypt, got them out from underneath slavery, brought them across the Red Sea, saved their lives and so forth. And and then they go and do this. And uh, the Lord said to Moses, you know what? I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff necked people, stubborn group of people. Now, therefore, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I can make a great nation out of you. Can you imagine? Uh, God is like, you know what? After doing all of this and the people turning their back on me, I'm done. I'm out of this thing. And, you know, if you know the story of the Old Testament and the history of Israel, this kind of cycle just keeps repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating itself uh, all the way through. Uh, at one point, God is even divorced. Uh, a lot of people you know, don't really know that, but God divorced himself from uh, Israel. God is a divorced God. And uh, you know that's how uh, intense this whole relationship got. And so uh, in this particular instance, Moses prays and he talks to God and God relents and says, okay, you know, I won't destroy the people. Uh, But it's kind of like the honeymoon is over. Like things are going to be different as we go forward now. And uh, things are going to be different. You, God says to Moses, he's like, all right, Moses, uh, you take the people and bring them to the promised land. I'm not going. God's talking now. He's like, you know, he says to Moses, you know what? I'm so upset. If I go with you, I'm afraid I just might destroy the whole tribe. And so you take the people and you lead them to the promised land and, and, uh, and I, I, you know what God says? I'll send an angel to lead you. You know, Moses is like, yeah, I don't have GPS. How am I going to know where the promised land is? And uh, God is like, well, I'll send an angel with you. And um, Moses is like, uh, he prays again and he says, you know what? If you're not going, I'm not going. Moses. He says, God, if you don't lead us, you know, 
How, how are we going to be a distinct people? How is the rest of the world going to know that we're any different than anybody else if you don't go with us? Uh, you're uh, the source of our uniqueness. Uh, it's your presence, and I'm not going without you. And then something very, very special happens. Um, Moses asked God to reveal more of himself. You ever sing that song, Just a Closer Walk with Jesus? That's my plea. Just a closer walk. Well, Moses gets to that point where, you know what? I I just want to know God better. And God, would you reveal more of yourself to me? And so in chapter 33, Moses asks the question. And in uh, chapter 34, um, God responds by revealing himself. Uh, Verses 6 and 7, here's what God says. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. Now listen, this is God in the Old Testament. Sometimes, uh, when I was in seminary, I had to read books, you know, that were very thick, and um, I never really got through all the way because they were so thick. But um, (laughs) the truth of the matter is, you had to read books about, you know, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament and how they're not the same. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, That can't be. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, right? Right. And so look what God says about himself. Now, there's two ways that people think about God. One is their own speculation. One is people just have ideas. Like I ask people sometimes, like, tell me about the God you believe in. I say, you believe in God? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me about him. What's he like? I don't know. You know, they don't have any clue. And sometimes people will say, well, he's, you know, this. And I'm like, where did you ever get that idea? Well, my mother, you know, my mother taught me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So here's God saying, look, this is me. This is who I am to Moses way back in Genesis, okay? The Lord passed before Moses and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You want to know what I'm about, Moses? These are the five qualities that mark my life that mark the life of God. This is what I am like. And then he goes on, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, and so on. Five qualities, God says, this is who I am. Number one, I am merciful. I am compassionate. When you hurt, I care, God says. When you are down and discouraged and lost and confused, I care. I'm a merciful God. I'm a compassionate. Some of your Bibles might say compassionate. What it means is that I care. I care about the people I made. Second, God says I'm gracious. Now, grace is undeserved favor. I'm a God who likes to give to people above and beyond what they deserve. In fact, I can't deal with people according to what they deserve. I would have destroyed the Israelites if I gave them what they destroyed. But I'm a gracious God, so I relented. I I felt like, you know, destroying them, but I didn't do it. Why? Because I'm a gracious God. Uh, I don't only forgive, but I credit righteousness to people's accounts even when they don't deserve it, right? And then I think the part of grace that is so amazing to me. I don't know, have you ever, uh, you know, had an opportunity, maybe God put it in front of you to get involved in something 
and said no. Because why? Well, because I know that if I get involved, it's going to involve sacrifice. It's going to involve me getting involved, and that's going to involve time and effort and energy and whatever, right? And so um, here's the part about God being a gracious God. God says, listen, I will get involved with your life. I, in the person of my spirit, will actually come and live with you. And I will walk with you all the way through this life and bring you into eternity. I'll get involved. I'm not afraid to get involved. I'm not afraid to, oh, you have this huge problem. Oh, you have this huge mountain in front of you. Listen, I'm gracious. You don't deserve it. You created this problem. You could work yourself out of it. But I am a gracious God. And I, by the person of my spirit, will actually get involved in your life on a personal level. I'm a gracious God. The third thing God says is I'm slow to anger. I'm like, whew. Right? Because slow to anger means God is a patient God. Let me just ask you, how many second chances have you had with God over the course of your lifetime? I know, you can't count that high. But God is slow to anger, right? And uh, he restores us to himself through his patience. And he's abounding in steadfast love. Uh, The Hebrew word there is hesed, and it's translated in a a lot of other places in the Bible as loving kindness. You know, there really is no explanation for some of the qualities of God apart from the fact that God chooses to love us. God says, this is the kind of God I am. I'm a God of loving kindness. And then finally, in uh, the fifth quality God wants us to know about himself is that he's full of faithfulness. And I think this is so important. Um, Faithfulness is long-term reliability. Long-term reliability. And God says, I'm a faithful God. Some of your uh, Bibles might have the translation there of truth. Uh, I'm a God full of truth. And part of faithfulness is being truthful, right? But we have a God who's faithful. He's reliable. You know, we have to have a God we can trust. He says, you can take me at my word. You can trust my word. Uh, You can believe in me. You can put your faith in me. You can trust me, God. I will be faithful, God says to us. And so this is God describing himself. You know, if you go all the way to the other end of the Old Testament, uh, this became pretty well known by uh, some of the prophets and so forth. I don't know if you remember the story of Jonah. It's a great story to follow a missionary who was here last week. But uh, God says to Jonah, you know, I'm going to send you to Nineveh. They're your enemies, and uh, you're going to preach judgment to them, and I'm going to destroy them, and so forth. And so uh, Jonah's like, you know, he jumps on a boat and goes the other way, and uh, he gets delivered back, and he goes and he does what God says. And uh, lo and behold, these terrible people, the Ninevites, who are the enemies of the Jewish people, they repent. They actually listen to him, and they repent. And so God says, you know, I'm not going to destroy him now. So Jonah gets really ticked. You remember this? And Jonah's like really mad at God now because, wow, you just made an idiot out of me. I've been running all over the place saying judgment's coming, and now you're going to relent, and you know what? And here's what he says. He says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and here's what I said. Here's what Jonah said. Oh, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to go to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, 
and relenting from disaster. It's like he quotes Moses, right? This is all the way at the other end of the Old Testament. All the way through. And it's like, you know, God reveals himself to be this kind of a God. Uh, now, you know, Jonah's got the wrong take on it, right? And, and God deals with him and so forth, as you know. But anyway, Moses asks God now again to forgive the Israelites. He prays again. And uh, the Ten Commandments uh, are written, rewritten on new tablets. The covenant between God and the people of Israel is reestablished. Remember, Moses broke the first uh, tablets. He threw them down when he saw the golden calf and so forth. Uh, But a new word is introduced into the dialogue between God and uh, the Jewish people at this point, from this point forward, after the uh, golden calf. Uh, As far as I know, this word has only ever been used once before. And again, it was God uh, in the process of revealing himself. God had used it. But now, after the golden calf, this word gets used over and over. You find it in the uh, Bible over and over again. And the word is jealousy. God suddenly starts talking about how jealous he is and uh, describes himself again Uh, In chapter 34, uh, back here in Exodus, chapter 34, uh, here's how God describes himself in um, verses 14 and uh, 17. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You shall not make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. For the Lord your God is a jealous God. And so um, it's important to kind of uh, think about this word jealousy now. I I think a great definition of the word jealousy is just the fear of being replaced. When somebody's jealous, what is that? Well, it's the fear of being replaced, right? um, And I think God is so passionate about having an exclusive relationship with himself that he's looking in the world still today for God-first people, Uh, people who are going to put God first in their life, people who are going to make the primary source of their identity their relationship with God, God God-first people. And uh, I think it would have been nice if after the golden calf incident, the people of Israel had learned their lesson and were faithful from that point on back to God, but that's not the story. There's a whole history of offenses that keep recurring, and um, uh, listen to this. This is um, uh, 500 years or so after the golden calf. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Jeroboam is the king. And uh, it says here, So the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He makes two golden calves, golden calves, puts them in front of the people, behold your God. 500 years after the initial golden calf thing. And and he set one up in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And uh, then this thing became sin for the people went as far as Dan before one. And Jeroboam um, appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves 
that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high, priest, high places that he had made, and so on and so forth. 500 years later, we're still making some golden calves here. We're still worshiping the cow gods of Egypt, right? And this is just, that's why I say, you know, the story of Israel is the story of us, right? How many second chances, how many times have we gone to God and repented and said, I'm so sorry, I messed up again, and, you know, please uh, give me the power to enable me to change and, and to move forward and so forth. And, uh, you know, this was prophesied in Deuteronomy at the end of, uh, sort of at the end of Moses' life. Uh, God had Moses write a song, and uh, this is prophesied in the song that the people are going to be like this in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and so forth. But this pattern emerges, right? And um, it gets played out over and over again. Israel breaks the covenant with God uh, that they had, and then God disciplines them, and then the land gets... Uh, you know, invaded by a foreign entity, and then the people get exiled, and uh, eventually they come to repent, and God takes them back, and the cycle starts all over again. When you look back on the history of Israel, uh, first it was the Assyrians, right, who came and devastated Israel and carried the people away, that's modern-day Iraq today, and then it was the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, you remember uh, him, and uh, that would be uh, modern-day Iran, and then it was the Romans during Jesus' time. The Romans occupied uh, Israel, you remember? And then in 70 AD, uh, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, and the people were uh, scattered all over. The Bible talks about it in many places. And uh, Israel has been out of their promised land uh, from 70 AD all the way until 1948, right? Which, by the way, on Mother's Day is 75 years ago when Israel re-became an internationally recognized entity. Now, no other nation has ever been out of their country for that period of time and been reconstituted. I call it a modern-day miracle. It's like, you know what? We're witnessing, if you're old enough, we're witnessing, you know, God pulling together people. And I I think, um, according to the Bible, uh, there's going to be at least one more Uh, exile of the Jewish people out of their land, and they're going to repent. They're going to come to know their Messiah, Jesus. Zechariah talks about it. And uh, and then they're going to be brought back into their land, and it's going to be Jesus ruling, I think, during the millennial period, uh, a thousand years from Israel. But in um, uh, Leviticus, in Leviticus, towards the end of Leviticus, uh, let me just read a couple of verses here. This is the story of Israel, but at the end of Leviticus, yet for all of that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God, but I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. So, wow, we're going through all of this heartache. You look at the people of Israel today, it breaks my heart. Like, these are God's people. These are the chosen people. And yet, look at the suffering that they've been through. Why? Well, because, you know what? Uh, When God gave those uh, Ten Commandments and gave that uh, Old Testament covenant, God said, look, you live like this, and I will bless the socks off of you, you know? But if you 
turn your back on me and you just ignore me and you just go do your own thing. I'm going to curse you and this is what's going to happen to you. And all you got to do is kind of look at the Jewish people and you'll see God was serious. You can take him at his word. You know, and those people are a witness to the world today for anybody who's willing to look at the Jewish people in their history and to see that God kept his word when it came to the uh, old covenant and yet God has not destroyed them and will not destroy them. Why? Because he made a promise and you can take him at his word. That promise started in Genesis chapter 12 and the first three verses. So again, according to the Bible, I think there's one more time coming that's going to be horrible for the Jewish people. And I think the church is uh, included, but not as bad uh, as for the Jewish people. In the Bible, it's called the day of the Lord. It's called the day of Jacob's trouble. Uh, It's called uh, the great tribulation uh, by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Um, you remember Jesus is answering the disciples. They're like, hey, when is all this going to happen and what's, gonna, what's it going to be like? And Jesus gives a, a whole chapter here. But here's what he says. Uh, for There's going to be great tribulation, um, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. There's a worse time coming than anything that's ever happened in the past. And... Uh, <clears throat> And if those days had not been cut short, Jesus is talking here, I think they're cut short by the rapture, but we don't have time to get into you know, the timing of everything. But no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The uh, terrible times uh, that are going to happen in response to uh, God's curses, if you will, that have been put on the nation of Israel. And so... Moses, at the end of his life, is instructed by God to uh, write a song. And uh, toward the end of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses reiterates uh, what all of these cycles uh, are really for. And uh, and I just want to read the first few verses of Deuteronomy chapter 30, and especially the sixth verse. And when all of these these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, And you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today uh, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and he will gather you again from the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you If your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into a land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And then here's the verse, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is probably the first prophecy that's talking about the new covenant. When you uh, read through the rest of the Old Testament and the various prophets pick up on this theme, Jeremiah 31, 31, for example, Jeremiah comes right out and talks about the new covenant. You know what? The old covenant didn't work. The old covenant led to these cycles, never a permanent salvation. 
never a satisfying solution to the uh, rift between God and people. So there needs to be a new covenant. And this new covenant, God is going to circumcise people's hearts. He's going to enable people to live from the inside out, not the outside in. God himself and the person of his spirit is going to come and indwell inside of our hearts, circumcise our hearts. And Jeremiah goes on to talk about this. And again, I think this is perhaps the uh, earliest prophecy of the new covenant uh, that God is going to bring. The new covenant uh, in contrast with the Mosaic covenant uh, under which uh, the people failed. And so this new covenant of salvation and blessing is going to be offered Uh, to individuals, but also to the nation of Israel as a whole. Every time we partake of communion, uh, we talk about this, right? Every time we uh, come around the Lord's table, have the Lord's Supper, uh, we're talking about, you know, this is the new covenant, Jesus said, the new covenant, the new arrangement, the new deal. This is the new covenant in my blood. And it points to, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary's cross And uh, we celebrate this new covenant because why? Because it's so different than the old covenant and it gives us a permanent salvation. It gives us a perfect salvation. It's not like we have to keep making sacrifices over and over again uh, and and there's all kinds of implications that come with that. Uh, The new covenant is actually something God will do. God's gonna do it on the basis of his promise to Abraham way back then. Uh, It's a promise, and it's different. It's by faith. It's not by obedience. It's by faith. And it will be um, through a renewing of people's minds, a whole new mindset or a whole new worldview, if you will. A whole new spirit will come into our life. It will be like being born again and change people from the inside out. Uh, The very core of our identity will be in this relationship with God and... um, Everything will be so different. Now, I think this is extremely vital to understand, and uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, If you go after church today, go downtown Ridgefield and walk on the sidewalk and get in some conversations with some people, just be friendly, put a smile, and and just talk to people, Uh, and if you can get the conversation around to asking people, you know what, Uh, when you die, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I can guarantee you nine out of ten people are going to say yes. Nine out of ten. There might be one honest person who says, eh, I'm not too sure you know, that I can go to heaven. But nine out of ten people will say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to heaven. And then if you say, well, why do you think like that? I guarantee you those nine out of ten people will point to something. They will say something like this, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And they will point to some good thing that they have done. They'll say, well, I was a Sunday school teacher or I you know, did this or I did that or I gave money to here, to the United Way or whatever it is, that, you know, and they will begin. And here, God is saying, listen, nobody, nobody ever experiences salvation that way. And every religion but Christianity, that is the way that people are told that they can make it with God. And uh, that's why there had to be a whole new covenant. Uh, The new covenant really is the gospel. The Mosaic covenant was laws, and it depended on obedience, which the people couldn't do, which the Israelites have showed us, you know what, it's impossible to live up to God's standards. The new covenant is about grace, and it's about a promise, and it depends on faith alone. 
The Old Testament system of laws uh, provided, uh, never provided a means of you know, permanent salvation. Did you know? <laughs> this is kind of cool. If you read through this, and I know it's not fun to read all of this stuff about uh, the temple and the synagogue and, and uh, out in the desert, you know, uh, the tabernacle and all of that. But God was very specific about all the furniture that went in there and, and all of that. Do you know there's not one chair inside there? Because the priest could never sit down because he was never done. You know, when we get to Jesus and he becomes the high priest for everybody, he sits down. Where is he right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because the work is done. Because the salvation that he offers through the new covenant is a permanent, perfect salvation. And you know what? When we grab a hold of that, like Mike said this morning, when that reality becomes our truth, our our identity, it changes everything. It changes everything. And so um, I I wanted to uh, just uh, invite you to turn in your Bible to Galatians uh, chapter 3 because uh, in Galatians... Uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, <laughs> uh, he's just, this, this group of people, first of all, Galatians is written to a number of churches, not just one church, but a group of churches. And what happened in uh, the church in Galatia is that the people embraced the gospel, but then they fell back into a legalistic kind of uh, faith. And uh, Paul just goes ballistic. He's like, you people are trading in all of the benefits of the gospel to go back underneath the Old Testament laws. And uh, so he addresses this very issue in the third chapter. And uh, he says, you know, in uh, verse 1, he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, you knuckleheads. You know, who bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who cheated you? Who lied to you? Uh, What would we call it? Uh, Misinformation or false information or whatever. All right? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When you were converted and you turned to Christianity, how did, that, how did the Spirit of God get inside of you to open up to you this whole new life and you became a new creation and so on? Are you so foolish, Paul says, having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? What's wrong with you? Why would you fall back? Why would you go back to a legalistic kind of Christianity, you know, instead of embracing uh, all these things? If anybody is ever trying to make it with God, Paul says it like this in, in verse 10. He says, for anybody who relies on the works of the law, they're under a curse. If you're counting on your good works or you being a good person to get you into heaven, and to make things right between you and God, let me, I got news for you. You are under a curse. You remember all those curses that God said, if you don't live up to these commandments, I am going to curse you. And you just look at the Jewish people and their history today. And you know that God wasn't messing around. He says, for anybody who relies on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All things. You know how uh, James talks about uh, the idea, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. Here's the deal. Imagine God holding up a chain, let's say, right? This is is the old covenant. It's a chain. And let's just say it's the Ten Commandments. There's much more and fills the whole Old Testament with all kinds of things. But let's just say it's the Ten Commandments, and there's ten links, and each one of them is a command, okay? 
And God's got, you know, he's given us this covenant. This is the deal. We're hanging on the bottom, right? And we're hanging over curses or blessings, right? Here's my question. How many of those links do you get to break before you're toast? None. One link breaks, down you go. You can't break any of those links. And that's what Paul's saying here in this verse. He's saying, you know, cursed is everybody who does not abide by all things written in the book. Now, I talk to people, you know, and they love, you know, hey, what about the Ten Commandments? You know, you ever break any of those? Well, you know, I might have lied, but, you know, I never committed adultery. Well, we don't need you to break that link. You break any link. I came to Christ when I was just a kid. And uh, at a camp, and I don't know who the guy was that was talking, but Jonathan Edwards uh, gave a really famous sermon one time, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You ever hear of that? It's a famous sermon. And uh, Jonathan Edwards has you uh, hanging over the flames of hell, okay, by a spider's thread, right? I'm a kid, like I'm seven years old, I'm at camp, I'm away from home, and I'm hanging over hell by a spider's thread, right? I gave my life to Jesus on the spot. I mean, it just, yep, we're done. Yeah, I still remember it, you know? And uh, that's what Paul is saying here. Listen, if you're counting on being a good person, if you don't do everything that's in all the commandments, you're toast. You're toast. And so it's so important to understand that there's a new covenant. And look what Paul says here in, in the next verse. In verse 11, he says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Paul says it's evident. In other words, it's obvious. And I'm thinking, this isn't obvious to hardly anybody. All the people, when you go and talk to uh, the guy on the street, you know, this isn't obvious to him. He's bargaining. He's like, well, I broke a couple of the commandments, but, you know, I haven't broken these other ones, so I'm counting on the law of averages and, you know, what should be evident isn't even on my radar screen, you know? And so what's the alternative? Well, Paul goes on in the next verse, in verse 11 and 12, he says it should be evident that nobody is justified before God by being good. The righteous live by faith. The righteous, the good people, live by faith. The people who are truly justified by God live by faith, okay? Other people live by obedience. We live by faith. But the law is not a faith. The law doesn't take faith. The law takes obedience, okay? The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Listen to this, verse 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Ah. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know what Jesus did? He took away the curse that God imposed in the old covenant. You know why? Because Christ became a curse for us. Uh, Second Corinthians 5 says that Jesus on the cross actually became our sin. And uh, not only that, two things happened on the cross. Christ became our sin and took the curse and was killed by God you know, for us in our place. And not only that, but then God credited Christ's righteousness to our account. So that when God looks on us, and by the way, if you go all the way back to Abraham, when God said, I'm going to bless you and, and all of it, and you know we're running out of time, but if you read the rest of this in Galatians, 
He goes all the way back to Abraham, and he says, look, (laughs) he said, um, Abraham simply believed God, and God credited it, his belief, as righteousness to Abraham. It doesn't say that Abraham was a righteous person. It says that his righteousness was given to him as a gift by a gracious God, which is a huge difference. I mean, we could go study the life of Abraham, and I could show you he wasn't perfect. He didn't keep all the laws. He lied. He, he did a lot of things that, you know, you would say, oh, my goodness, you know. But God said, I'm going to credit him because he put faith in what I told him and acted on it. I am going to credit him with righteousness and and the same thing is true that when we put our faith in Christ and uh, then you know he gets into um, all of this about uh, Abraham and so forth it's a fascinating passage of scripture it's just great but bottom line uh, there's two ways that uh, are talked about here in Galatians two ways that uh, people try to make it with God and um Jesus said in Matthew, and I just, I'll close with this, I promise. Um, Jesus said in part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, he said, listen, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So here's what Jesus said. There's two ways that people try to make it with God, uh, you know, through works and through faith. And uh, there are two gates. One is wide, one's narrow. There are two ways. One's easy, one's hard, Jesus said. There are two destinations. One is destruction, ultimately in hell, and the other is eternal life. And there are two groups of people. One is made up of many people, and one is made up of few. Now, a lot of people think either way, We can make it with God, but Jesus says no. He says, enter by the narrow way. The narrow way is through faith in the Jesus who said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you know, we're thankful for the Bible, right? These two covenants, the old Mosaic covenant and uh, how willing you were to just show how that covenant never really could work because uh, we are fallen sinners and we can't, uh, even though you made us in your own likeness and image, none of us is like you. And so, Father, you made a new covenant and uh, this new covenant in Jesus, which uh, you had planned from before the world was made. And we're so thankful, Father, that this new covenant gives us a perfect salvation, a salvation that's permanent, a salvation that we can rest in, a salvation, Father, that uh, can take down our uh, anxiety, take down our worries, uh, that changes us in so many different ways. And we're so thankful for the new covenant. May we uh, continue, Father, to understand more and more of you revealing yourself to us, especially through the new covenant, through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.